welcome to Dark Matter Uncovered in this special podcast series. Thierry and Adrian explore the breadth of opportunities in the emerging space sector, a new key pillar of the Luxembourg economy. Dark Matter Uncovered is a Lux Unplugged production supported by Hogan Lovells, a global team advising clients on their most complex legal issues on Earth and beyond. Hi, I'm Thierry. On this sixth installment of the Dark Matter Uncovered series, I had the pleasure of speaking with Catherine Hadler, Director at the European Space Resources Innovation Centre, also known as ESRI. As we speak with different private enterprise and government agency players in the space sector on a regular basis, it was very interesting to hear more about this new innovation centre that was only launched and opened in 2020. In our conversation, Catherine and I discuss why she joined ESRIC in April 2022 after spending most of her career at Imperial College London. Catherine highlights the importance of mineral processing in the context of space, the core mission of ESRIC, before we moved on to the key challenges in this growing pillar of the Luxembourg economy. But now, without further ado, my conversation with Catherine Hadler. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the Dark Matter Uncovered podcast, sponsored by Hogan Lovells. This is our first episode after our summer break. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Thierry. It's a pleasure to be here. So I think we have a wide range of topics today that we're going to talk about, especially around the European Space Resources Innovation Centre, or otherwise called ESRIC. Uh, But for people who don't know you, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, of course. So uh, my name is Catherine Hadler. I am the currently the director of the European Space Resources Innovation Centre, ESRIC. And my background is in mining. So I'm not from the space sector at all. I'm from the mining sector. Uh, and I was previously a lecturer in mineral processing in Imperial College in London. And about five years ago, I got involved in the space resources community. And that's how I ended up here. You just highlighted, um, obviously, that you were at the Imperial College in London. Um, But what motivated you to study uh, chemical engineering in the first place? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I really liked uh, maths and I really liked chemistry and I really liked solving problems. And that's how I ended up in chemical engineering, uh, which I did in Manchester. And then I moved down to to Imperial College in London to continue research uh, in mineral separations, which is a huge field in uh, the mining sector. It's really important um, globally to, to produce the resources that we need today. Um, and through that, that's how I got, like I say, that's how I ended up in the, the space resources field by looking around for new ideas and new inspirations to bring into my research uh, in the mining sector. And before we started the, uh, the recording, you mentioned that, you know, we, we, we spoke before a couple of weeks ago, just before the summer, um, and starting something new, so the space sector is something from the ground up that hasn't existed before. Um, and it's about solving problems. Um, so is that one of the key, uh, well, how should I call it, uh, one of the key motivators uh, why you're so fascinated about space? Absolutely. And I think if you'd have told me 
10 years ago, even seven years ago that I'd end up in the space sector, I probably would have laughed a lot. It's not something I ever really foresaw. Um, but through my work in, in the mining sector, we see the challenges that we face on earth and you know we're constantly looking for new ideas and new inspiration and what's fascinating about the space resources sector is like you say this is something that has not been done before it doesn't exist there's no there's no activity at the moment in space that is currently looking for or extracting resources so we're starting something right from the very beginning and I think that's really exciting because we have an opportunity to to think differently about resources and to think differently about what that might look like in the future for society. And at the time in your career as a researcher and lecturer at the Imperial College in London, can you tell our listeners about your time there and what your day-to-day involved? Yeah, so Imperial, I had I started as a postdoc and then I uh, I, I ended up as a lecturer, um, and it was a classic academic job. You know, we do teaching and research, and I absolutely love teaching. Actually, I really really enjoy teaching students and working with students, um, and again through throughout the years we've, we've done lots of really fun research projects um student-based research projects but also on a day-to-day basis we we do a lot of research we supervise uh supervise people doing research and we also look for funding and i think when we when we're thinking about big challenges and what might be what are the problems that we need to solve um to in order to be able to you know to to get funding and to to solve those problems this is how we end up thinking more broadly about our subjects and that's one of the um the great things about the academic sector is lots of challenges in the academic sector i think there's um like many sectors there's a lot of pressures on time um but research and academics at the academic research environment is uh it's 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 a really it's a really interesting place to work and actually I should say for a while I did go out into industry as well so I I was at Imperial for 16 years in total but for about a year and a half I went and worked in industry in um, in a mineral processing lab so actually doing lab um, commercial lab work uh, in the industrial sector and again that was a really fascinating period of time to really see what the industry uh, is like what the industry does what are the challenges at the ground level um, so all of that experience I think has has led me to where I am today. And you just mentioned about uh, the funding uh, to do research and in space overall uh, in private business it's no different most companies that are working in the space sector require a large amount of funding in terms to continue their research, develop whatever machinery, processes um, they require to do their work in, uh, in space. I'm, I'm quite fascinated about, uh, around the mineral processing uh, part and, and how important is that, in your opinion, in the context of space? You know, if you ask me, if you ask any of my team as well, if you ask me, then I would always say that's the most important part. I think mineral processing for me is one of the great unknown uh, industries in our world. So the uh, mineral processing, it's also called uh, beneficiation, is about separations of different minerals. So if I can go into a, a little bit of detail here about what this actually means in the mining sector. So what we mine out of the ground isn't 
the final product. We don't mine metals, we mine minerals. Uh, and those minerals don't exist in, the, in the, the kind of concentrations that we want. We need to do some concentration of them. So we mine these kind of low-grade ore bodies, for example, copper. And then we need to do some physical concentration of those ore bodies and then the mineral goes off to be smelted to become the metal and that bit in the middle the kind of concentration from a low-grade ore into a high high quality mineral concentrate is that's mineral processing and we use lots of uh, different ways we predominantly use um, differences in the mineral so it comes down to the, the the mineral physical properties things like magnetic properties density surface properties so there's this whole industry um, that's critical to the mining sector which we know is critical to our our, our daily life um, that is largely unknown um, and that's i think for me without without mineral processing we wouldn't have the access to these low-grade ore bodies they wouldn't be viable to mine and we know now with the energy transition obviously that the that resources become even more important. We need more copper, we need lithium and so on. And these concentration technologies are really critical. And I think that also extends to space resources as well. These kind of material hand, handling, handling different materials, separating them, being able to use them in an efficient and effective way will be a critical part of the future in space. If I take an example, a very layman term example, any uh, materials we're taking out the ground on Earth, if we go up in space and we mine similar materials that we find, um, let's say they will be exactly the same. They might not be, but let's say they will be the same. What we afterwards create out of those materials might be better, stronger, more flexible, can create other things. Is that kind of one of the reasons why we want to go to space and find materials and bring them back to Earth or use them even in space? Well, so you've, th th that last point is is key here when we talk about space resources. There's two ways of there's there's two approaches to space resources, if you like. There's the the first one that we think about and the one that is that is often more um, more widely seen in the media and this is the idea that you go into space and you extract metals that we mine here on earth and bring them back to earth so it's a, the classic kind of going to going to an asteroid getting some platinum and bringing that back to earth which means we don't need to mine on earth and we all know the damage that mining does on earth um so that's one uh way of of uh, of, of considering how resources from space can be used the other way is in more of a, an enabling way, if you like. Um, and so in this, uh, this approach, it's about going into space and using the resources that we find in order to be able to allow people to travel further and spend longer in space. And this topic, you sometimes see it called in situ resource utilization or ISRU. And it's this idea of going into space and using resources to enable space exploration, to enable more science to be done, um, and to, to allow humans to expand beyond where we already have been. Uh, NASA used to refer to it as living off the land. I'm not sure whether they still do, but that was the, the kind of the concept. But the materials that you're interested in in both cases are are different so in one case we're looking for valuable materials valuable metals that we need here on earth so the platinum from asteroids example 
for the ISRU example, we're actually looking for things that we can use that will allow us to spend time in, in space. And for that, we need things like water, uh, we need oxygen, um, and we need things that we can use to build and build habitats, um, construction, infrastructure, and so on. And that is a, a really broad field. And that's really what the focus of the space resources community is at the moment. I actually like what the, what the, the way Na, uh, NASA phrased it, living off the land. It's, it's no different to what we should be doing here, you know, using local resources. So basically, that's exactly what you say what is mined up in space can then be used, let's say, locally to further the advances of humankind and exploration and so on, uh, rather than bringing it back and then using it here. So that's really, really interesting. Talking a little bit about ESRIC then, in early 2022, it was announced that you will join the ESRIC uh, as the director. You know, obviously a change from, from where you were before, uh, you were in London or in the UK, now you're in Luxembourg. What does your role entail? Uh, but also, what is the core mission of ESRIC? Oh, lots of interesting points there to discuss. So, yes, I became uh, director of, of the newly formed ESRIC in April this year. So it's coming up for six months um, that I've been here. And ESRIC is an initiative from the Luxembourg Space Agency and from the Ministry of Economy um, in Luxembourg, but also uh, in partnership with the European Space Agency, and there's a need. There was a need across Europe to to build a kind of focal point for space resources research and innovation activity. So what we find in space resources um, currently, certainly in the in Europe, there's lots of pockets of of activity, but it's quite small and unfocused. And there's a real need to kind of to, to provide one centre um, that would bring together expertise and be really dedicated to space resources research. And that's exactly where ESRIC comes in. So it fits very nicely into to Luxembourg's, um, Luxembourg's positioning uh, as being a leader in space resources. And so what ESRIC does is it addresses four areas that are important in space resources. So the first one is research, and obviously that's my background. That's the one that I feel very um, very passionately about the, the research that we do in this field. Uh, we also support the community through activities, challenges, and so on. Um, we, we, we're interested in knowledge management, how we can kind of curate and, uh, and use the knowledge that's generated in this quite interesting and dynamic field. And the final one is supporting business uh, through kind of incubator type programs. Uh, but also it, what we're interested in is supporting this kind of new ecosystem of space resources companies in, a, in an industry, as we said at the beginning, that doesn't really exist at the moment. So and I think that that's what makes ESRIC unique because we're addressing all of these issues in order to be able to 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 really see this become a reality the the idea that space resources this use of resources in space the kind of nasa living off the land idea for this to become a reality we um obviously as part of of our mission at the the luxembourg podcast and during this series we speak to various uh, players in the space sector not only from luxembourg but just across a little bit in in europe and what what I can see is that you have kind of this creation of a space mecca in Luxembourg for the European Space Agency overall. 
what I probably find quite interesting uh, to understand is from a research and from a business community part, why is it important for Europe and how competitive is it against USA and, 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 and other, other continents, China, for example? Because everything we do in Europe, we're not the only one who do it, obviously. No, you're absolutely right. It's funny that, you know, when I when I first got into the space resources sector, like I say, about five years ago, um, looking around for new ideas, new inspiration. Um, and I, I got involved with the space resources community. And then everybody said at the time, oh, well, you know, Luxembourg are really huge in space resources. Really? That can't possibly be the case. And then you get into the, the space resources community and Luxembourg really is like, a, it's a, it's, globally recognized as being a leader in space resources um through the the there was the lsa government initiative space resources.lu initiative they were really really early leader in saying right actually this is important for luxembourg we're really gonna we're really gonna support um activity in the space resources field so it's really and that's partly why um you know it's a big reason why i i came from from the uk to Luxembourg and why Esric is actually located here. But your point about about why Europe needs something like this and what else is going on in the world is uh, is really important actually. There's, it, there's so much excitement around this field and it's not a new concept um, using space resources, the kind of ISIU type approach. It's been around for for decades and decades since basically the Apollo moon landings people have been talking about how we could use the moon as a as a refueling station and but it's really in the last five years or so there's been a huge explosion in activity uh, around the world so there's a lot of activity in the US and NASA have been supporting these initiatives for, for a long time um, and Europe it's more recent so European activity in space resources is really really gathered a lot of pace in the last five six years almost around the time that the that, that lsa started the the, the space resources.lu initiative the sector the community in europe isn't as um isn't as big as or as active as it is in the us but it certainly is there's a there's a lot of activity there's a lot of expertise that we have in europe uh that we can make use of and so i think we are not you know, we we know that that NASA are ahead with their funding programs. That the the US companies is, there's there's a lot of activity, but with what was existing before in this this uh, community in Europe, with lots of little bits of projects going on here and there, then we don't we will never um, we'll never compete with the the US on that level. But by having a, a focal point, a more coordinated effort, then it allows us to to reach. A certain point quicker and what i always say with the space resources as well is that this is not this is not a topic that will be or this isn't something that will be implemented by one country one space agency one company it's such an enormous task to make a functioning system that will work on the moon for example producing oxygen that it will require lots of different agencies, industry, all of these public-private type partnerships, um, in order to be to make this happen. And Europe can have a real, um, a real role in that as well. Just to um, go on to your point about what else is going on in the world, China are there. There is activity. We don't really know so much about what's going on, but they are very, very quick 
to make things happen. It was really impressive, actually, uh, the the speed at which um, uh, things will happen. But also that we see a lot more activity in mining rich countries. So Australia are starting to move in this field. Um, the Canadians certainly have a reasonable amount of um, activity supported by the Canadian Space Agency. So there's the, there's a growing activity. It grows by the, the year, definitely. So it's a uh, consolidated effort on a European level and obviously supporting businesses uh, in, in, well, individuals creating businesses or countries helping other other businesses strive in order to come up with ideas, research and, and products and services. Um, but what is the space sector overall then hoping to get out of the space resources uh, initiatives on a, on a Luxembourgish level? So for Luxembourg, it's all about bringing in the companies that are that are um, that are active in space resources, um, so that in time, when there is a new space economy, those companies are positioned here. So it's it's a very strategic move on the on the Luxembourg level. It, you know, it's really it is a fascinating sector because we have these these companies that are interested, lots of ideas. It's a really creative sector about how we can how we do this there's problems that we might need to solve um companies that are built around around lots of different aspects related to space resources so not just let's say the extraction of of oxygen from moon dust but also how you might build habitation with 3d printing how you might manufacture things using metals in space how you might um how you how you support that through energy infrastructure and communications. So there's huge amounts of, of different sectors that are required to come together uh, in this field in order to be able to produce resources that somebody will that somebody will buy. I mean, this is the, the, the basis of it. Um, and so those businesses are all kind of being created uh, now, the startup scene is really active uh, in this field in order to be there when this happens. And as we know, there are many challenges in terms of laws when it comes to space. I mean, it's probably one of the sectors, the more the really challenging ones. Um, and, and we hear from private space companies about these challenges on, on our podcast. From your point of view, and since you are actively working within the space resources initiatives, what are the key challenges today and also in the near future? And what do we need to do uh, to overcome them? Um, funding is a really big challenge. And it's one that Luxembourg obviously um, um, does have a lot of support for businesses in the space sector. But funding research and funding the development of technologies that will allow this to happen is really critical. And I mentioned before about the difference between you know, the, the activity in the US and Europe, NASA fund activity in this field to a greater degree than than ESA can fund activity in um, in Europe. And so I think that finding funds in a sector that at the moment isn't, you know, businesses in this field who are purely looking at space resources, they they don't generate any revenue at the moment. There's no real time frame for when this might become a, a, an established economy. And so the way in which we can support businesses through this kind of early phase of development, uh, I think, is uh, is really interesting. But there's so many scientific challenges as well. I mean, we, we base a lot of our of our 
processes on limited information. I mean, the, the, the samples that we have, the physical samples from the moon are the, the 350 kilos that came back on the Apollo samples, uh, on the Apollo missions, sorry. Uh, so we have limited physical samples from the moon. We've got data from remote sensing, so from satellites that orbit the moon. We do have some data, but a lot of what, what is designed for this, for this future lunar economy uh, is is based on limited um, limited uh, data and limited knowledge, and I think that's fascinating. Um, how well our technologies, how well our concepts will will be able to will withstand the harsh lunar environment. So, in order to accelerate research, do we need to bring more back from space in the near future and allocate more resources to it? Is that is that what you need? We we need more uh, what they call ground truth data. So, actually, it's not necessarily bringing samples back from the moon, but actually just having having instrumentation on the moon that will allow us to do measurements uh, that will help us design better systems and technologies. So if we think about, for example, producing oxygen, and this is the example I always go to, producing oxygen from the lunar soil. Um, And there's actually plenty of oxygen on, on the moon. It's just all bound in the minerals on the surface of the moon. So that dusty layer that coats the the moon is about 40% oxygen. And the, we have to chemically extract the, the oxygen from the minerals in order to be able to provide us with something that we can use for, to support human life, but also for rocket propellant. In order to do that, we need information about uh, the mineral composition in various locations or, or target locations. We need to know we need to know things like geotechnical properties. We need to think about actually how we land rockets without producing huge amounts of dust and dust is um dust is one of my favorite topics which sounds really dull but the the lunar dust is really challenging i said that the the environment's really challenging and actually lunar dust itself is incredibly damaging it's it's really abrasive it's very angular uh it's very fine it sticks to everything so there's challenges in how the materials how the dust on the the moon actually behaves in that environment the samples that we bring to earth we understand their characteristics under um, earth conditions or under whatever conditions we happen to to be in but on the moon where we have the vacuum uh, low gravity um, radiation and so on I think those environment that that environment is very different so what we need is more ground to ground truth data and for that we need rovers we need instruments we need things on the surface of the moon that can give us that data that will allow us to to design the technology accordingly so how far do you believe we are away from having a actual base on the moon oh that's a great question i it depends what you mean by by base i think like you said you know rovers equipment uh, without having a constant population active on the moon but having equipment that can generate data and information down to earth in order for researchers um, to continue developing uh, new ideas and, and and getting obviously all that data because we, we're not going to have Matt Damon in a tent <laughs> growing growing uh, oxygen obviously so. well not not in the next few years but maybe in the future uh, <laughs> no it's a uh, it's it's a good point about the order in which we 
how this will happen and how quickly things will happen. So there's the NASA Viper mission, and that is going to take some measurements on the the dust, the characterization of the the lunar dust, uh, the lunar soil. Um, that's now been pushed back to late next year. There's a lot of missions that have been planned with instruments that will provide data back to scientists on Earth to be able to 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 understand the lunar environment. And I think we talk a lot about economy and and the value of this to allow us to develop technology that will enable a lunar economy in the future. But actually, this also greatly adds to the scientific knowledge. And often with the space agencies, their mandate is to to promote scientific discovery. So there's there's lots of missions planned. But as we see, these are always these are always pushed back. There's lots of um, there's lots of interesting issues around the NASA CLIPS system, which is the commercial uh, lunar payload system where they basically pay um, private companies to take instruments um, on certain missions. So although we'll see more and more missions over the next few years, uh, the, the time frame for when we will see, for example, an ISRU plant we're probably looking at maybe toward the end of this decade, I think, um, to we start again, we start with small demonstration missions. So you have a demonstration mission to, to demonstrate that you can produce oxygen on the surface of the moon from the, the lunar soil. And then you build up into larger equipment and so on. And so I think we'll see more of that activity towards the end of this decade. So something really exciting ahead of us. And what can we expect from ESRIC in the near future then? It's a really exciting future actually in in space. It's an exciting time in space in general, but certainly for space resources, there's there's huge amounts of of really exciting activity. For ESRIC, what you will see is growth. Uh, We're currently at around 13 uh, people, so we're, we're still relatively small. Uh, we've been around for just just over a, a year and a half um, now. So what we'll see is more growth, more activity uh, in the research, which I'm very keen to see moving forward quickly. And we will develop more in terms of research that has impact for space resources. But I'm very keen also to, to learn the lessons from space resources uh, or for solving problems. Uh, that will allow us to to use resources on the moon and using concepts from that to benefit everybody back on Earth. I think that's a really key message that we need to to get across from the space resources community. I think often this is it seems like a huge amount of activity for some people to maybe go and spend some time on the moon or to refuel rockets or to make some people very rich, for example. And actually, there are real benefits to us on Earth from rethinking our relationship with resources. So that's something we'll see a lot more of in ESRIC in terms of research and our our other activities in terms of supporting the community uh, and supporting business will continue as our sector matures. We will see from ESRIC growth. So what can people do? Uh, if they want to join uh, ESRIC uh, and work with you? Then if, if people, obviously we are, we are always open to new brilliant people. So keep an eye out for our job, um, our open jobs. So that's that's one way to um, keep involved. You can follow us on, on LinkedIn and you know, the usual kind of channels. So um, keep an eye on open positions. But also if people have ideas for startups, 
that they'd like to to look for support in the in in the startups in the space resources community then uh, we have the the world's only world's first startup support program entirely dedicated to space resources and you can find out more about that again on linkedin or on our website so that's really for for people with ideas, concepts, maybe even an established business they're looking to grow in space resources sector. Uh, but if you're a researcher as well, then, then we are we are always interested in looking for good ideas, uh, new people, people with vision, people with creativity, those kind of things. So you can always reach out to us and, and follow us on LinkedIn. Catherine, thank you very much for, for taking uh, your time out of your uh, busy schedule to talk to me here on the Dark Matter Uncovered uh, podcast. Um, we are really looking forward to you know, what the future brings for Ezric and hopefully we're going to speak again uh, in, in the near future uh, about all those exciting things you're working on. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's been a real joy to talk to you. That was Dark Matter Uncovered, your special series dedicated to the Luxembourg space industry and beyond. Subscribe to our Lux Unplugged podcast feed to continue receiving future episodes either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.